Sorry. So, so we're going to go over James 5, 13 through 20, uh, titled in, in the ESV or my Bible version, The Prayer of Faith. And we're going to go through this. Um, I'm going to read it first, um, but before we actually read it, I'll go ahead and wrap up um, kind of the things we've talked about in James. There's been a lot that James has covered. Um, so, you know, we, we went into the first week, you know, 12 weeks long, um, be joyous about testing and trials. You know, we're not to, to grumble or complain. If we want to know, we just ask because God is good. God will give us what we ask for. So we need to ask with a right heart and be ready to accept that. God does not tempt. He gives good gifts. So, you know, James said, don't let someone say that God is tempting me. Um, he, w- he will let us go through trials. That's, that's not a question. Um, but he's not going to tempt us to sin. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Uh, sometimes I do struggle with that. I think it's a, a problem that probably a lot of people do. I think if uh, one place I get into trouble the most, it'd probably be a little too quick to speak. Partiality is a sin, and you'll be shown the mercy that you show to other people. Um, faith without works. So they talked about that. I'll touch a little bit back on that with the five thirteen through 20, um, just because I think James really worked together a lot of points throughout the whole book. Um, Taming the tongue. So, again, right back to the quick to hear, slow to speak. Wisdom from above. God grants us the wisdom. He, so we see a repetitive cycle here, um, emphasizing on the things that he wants to bring forward. Um, humble yourself and reject worldliness. Um, I know pride can be an issue. Um, preparing for tonight, thinking about how I was going to do, I had to, to quell that and know that the Spirit was is who leads people, who brings them to it. And... Uh, going into boasting about tomorrow, um, not knowing what God's plan is, warning to the rich, and then being patient and suffering. So our passage tonight, I'm going to read it right from the Bible. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So kind of like I just mentioned a minute ago, um, as I was preparing for this, I really felt unqualified um, as I was going into it, thinking I'm not taught, I have no experience teaching. This is my first time ever sitting up in front of people and teaching, so kind of kind of nerve-wracking a little bit, and I was going to, I'm worried, am I going to say something that's terrible? Am I going to say something heretical? Um, and I'm like, what really makes me worthy of doing this? And so as I, I just kind of fought with that the whole time, didn't really narrow anything down, but as I kept reading, kept bringing up more scripture, you know, I was reminded of the apostles. God went out, he called them from places, being fishermen. Now Luke was a doctor. Um, so there was some education there. It wasn't something that was Everybody was, but he called out Peter, um, James, John. He brought them in. He said, follow me, and they followed him. 
And then I was like, well, you know, they sat at Jesus' feet and they heard his teachings. I'm like, well, that is a pretty good resume to put on there. You know, that's probably the best Bible doctorate that you're ever going to get. But then I was reminded um, after he told the, the parable of the seeds and the sower that, the, that his own followers had to come to him and tell him, hey, we don't understand what you're saying. So that made me feel a little bit better about myself when I'm looking into the Bible and I'm like, I don't, I don't fully get this God, you know, and I, I pray over it and explain to him. So that's when I realized that it's really, they believed in Christ and then on the day of Pentecost, the spirit came in and filled them that same spirit lives with every one of us that has accepted Christ. And it's the spirit who's going to provide what needs to be done. That's, that's any of the, the information, the, the weighing on the heart. It's not my job to make sure the right thing is said. So going into it, um, there is a lot in here that we could take out. Um, I'm going to break it down into four points. Those are the ones that I really thought were the spirit was leading me to talk about tonight. Um, there is, again, we could break down much more into this. So going right into, oh, sorry, I skipped my slide for you guys there. So going into the first point, don't separate your physical and spiritual life. So it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? So we're talking about two different things here. Uh, What I found really interesting, and actually in a sermon probably about a year ago, Pastor Andy covered this, and the word that's in here for sick is actually the Greek word astenai, and the word is generally used when they're talking about spiritual, but as James uses it here, he's contrasting both physical and spiritual, because as the new Christians are going out, they're suffering hardships, you know, they're being beaten, they're being thrown out of places, you know, they have no funds because they're Christians in hiding. Uh, So there is a lot of persecution going on. So I think a lot of times we separate those two, but just like God gave the Israelites, sorry, gave the Israelites laws in in the desert, um, he also gives us laws through the writing of his word. So he tells us what to do in these situations. If we're suffering, pray. If anyone is cheerful, let them praise or sing praise. So how many times have you gone through suffering and the first thing you've done is complain? Has it helped you? Um, I know personally, and I would say for everyone else, the the complaining probably didn't help us. It probably took us into a a, a place of self-pity and pride and uh, and took us somewhere worse. And when we're cheerful, uh, do we sing a lot? I I know I can be guilty, um, and I think a lot of people are guilty of of basking in the joy that God's provided us without receiving and giving praise back to him. And do we call on our spiritual leaders when we're physically or spiritually ill? Um, it tells us there, sorry, headset's falling off here. So um, going into the next verse when we're talking about that, it does say in 14b, is anyone sick? Let him call on the elders. So we do need to be practicing and following these these guidelines that James has set forth from us. You know, it's divinely written, God through James, and so we know that we need to do that. And in a way that I, I have to go back and talk about the physical and spiritual suffering, I think a lot of times we, we think of suffering and we, we can put off, um, and it really is a prideful thing where we think, well, there's someone who definitely has it worse than I do. There's someone over here who's starving. There's someone over here. I think that's a tool of the adversary. Um, it definitely is a way for Satan to let us know that, you know, or put us in a place where we don't feel like we should go and lay our burdens down. 
because we feel bad, we feel guilty about those seeming like burdens to us, but all of them are suffering, whether it's small or whether it's a lot, and they can all be tools of the adversary to separate us from God. And so I did have a, a pretty recent event where, where something like this happened for me, and I wasn't even aware of it as it was going on. Um, so Ryan knows, a few people around the church know, that I was actively applying to get other jobs to get out of Salina. Um, it was a, an issue of praying every day fervently, you know, God, take me wherever you want me. Just don't let it be Salida. So it was just, it was one of those things. It wasn't being said, but it was in the back of my mind the whole time. And so it was going through it. And so I ended up going through uh, eight months of that, 27 job applications, 13 interviews, doing all the right things, saying all the right things. Everybody said, hey, I got called in until you were, that was a really good interview. You are a great candidate. Then why didn't you hire me? So that was just weighing on me. And eventually I've, submitted, and I said, you know what? I'm pretty sure that God wants me to stay here, and it, it's funny how many things just start to kind of, the pressure starts to come off, like the anxieties of waiting came off, and I saw that things were here. Well, to get on the flip side of that, about a week ago, um, one of the jobs that I specifically had wanted um, became available and was backdoor given to someone else, just no interview, no anything like that, and it was pretty disheartening for me. And in that, I was I tried to act happy for the person. I was like, you know, hey, congratulations. It was somebody in the office that I work with, actually. So I tried to be gracious because I thought that's what God would want me to do. And it is. It is what God wants. But what I was doing is I was lying to myself also. I was angry. I was jealous. I was bitter. And I was not praying about it. And then God broke my heart down because I was suffering. I was suffering from a hurt because that's what I wanted but what I was doing was putting myself above God's plan. And as I continued to pray and going into prayer because of my suffering, I was, real, I was made more aware just by saying it aloud and for the Spirit convicting me of what was going on in my life. And it really, I mean, it, it turned it around pretty quick. You know, I think we forget a lot of times that prayer isn't just to, to say something to God so God can hear us. We're not tickling his ear, um, of which sometimes I think we, we attempt to, like the, like the Pharisees had in the past, but the prayer allows us to even just hear what we're saying, and, and God can use that to say, do you, do you hear what you're saying? Do you hear this? And it can bring it back around. So with that, if, if any one of you is suffering, and, and you're going out there this week, and you're not saying it to somebody because of pride, because you just don't think it's worth it, you don't think you're worthy of, of having someone help you, whether that's physically uh, or like a, a spiritual struggle that you're going through, I say just cut through you know, the dishonesty with God because he already knows what's in your heart. He knows everything. He is all-powerful. He sees what's going on. And just openly lay those burdens at his feet because he tells us to do that in his word. And even says in James 4, 6, if we just jump back a little bit, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we need to humble ourselves and go before God. For the next point we have, we are designed to do this together. Um, so I kind of cut up verse 14. I went 14a and 14b, and then it kind of overlapped. Um, and you'll see here why. So 14b through, um, through the end of it, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So again, in point one, 
I talked about shame. I talked about uh, pride. But it goes in there as jealousy. These are sins and tools that our adversary uses to keep us separated. So when we're out there and we're alone, and again, going right back to that, it is easy for Satan to pick us off. It is easy for us to drop out of church if we have no support group. And this is even where grow groups, having that family that's a support group is just a great tool. And I'm, I'm going to confess, I'm not actually in a grow group permanently. Uh, me and my wife have been jumping around and have been guilty of, of not being in one. So uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to practice what I preach. So uh, forgive me for that. But I'm going to go right back to a quote from Pastor Shane, if you guys were here on Sunday or if you saw that at all. And, um, so Pastor Shane, you know, said the church is a body. If you saw a toe on the side of the road, it'd be pretty weird. So that's, I mean, it's a simple quote, but it's the truth. And, you know, we're called to unity in Christ. We're one body. So we need to come together. Um, I think one of the things that keeps us from coming together in this aspect that James is talking about, calling on the elders, is again, we... We feel like we don't want to waste time. We don't want to waste Ryan's time because he's busy. We tell ourselves these things, or we let Satan tell us these things, um, and we believe it, and it's a lie. There is no doubt in my mind that anyone on the pastoral staff here, anyone on the prayer team, um, any of the grow group leaders, whether they know you or not, if you stopped them, if you talked to them, if you said, hey, I'm struggling, I don't know you, but I need you to say a prayer for me in my life, they are going to pray for you. Um. And so we go in here. I'm going to flip over to Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, and read that for you. It says, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. So, in that passage, I think there's a word that probably stands out. It's the word one. Uh, Paul uses it seven times just to reemphasize the amount of unity. That the, that the church is a unit. We were made to do this together. And then, if, uh, reiterating what Paul says, if we flip over to Philippians 4, uh, and verses, I'm sorry, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 3, it's Christ's example of humility. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love and participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So, I mean, even there, talking about Christ's love, you know, if we think about the Spirit, there is one Spirit, God's Spirit and it's in the body. So that's how we should come together as unity, and we shouldn't grieve the Spirit. It's, it's, it sounds like I'm saying a lot of the same things over to, as I hear myself. It sounds like I'm repeating over and over again about this unity, unity, unity. But again, over and over in the New Testament, we're called as believers to come together and share our burdens. And so, um, one of the ways, again, going back to grow groups, um, if there is something that is going on in your life, suffering, if there's joy, if there's pain, we need to bring it and let somebody pray over it. Um, 
one of the best places to do that is a grow group where you do meet a family, you you become part of that family, and it becomes very intimate. Um, I've been neglect in doing so here myself, but uh, as I moved around the army, I had the experience of, of getting to do that, and it's amazing what laying your burdens down and letting others help carry your burdens can do for you in your life. So I, I you know I, I challenge you. Um, whether you're in a grow group, whether you're not, whether you have a friend, you know, that you can commute with that someone that you can trust in, I would go to them, ask them to pray for you, or even better yet, if you know someone like that, ask if they, if you can pray for them. I mean, there's a lot of times where we keep these unspoken prayers. You know, you see it when I, I grew up in, um, independent Baptist church here in Salina or Ray Avenue now, as it's called. I don't know if anybody's familiar, but I remember all the unspokens that would come out. And there's just, there's this idea that either someone's prayer request or is either too embarrassing or it's just not enough. Um, but I think we need to open those up to God and say them out loud. And then we can start sharing with each other. I think as long as we keep those hidden, we're not going to be able to overcome those sins. All right, and so point three, this is what faith through works looks like. Again, uh, James said, show me your, uh, your faith, and I'll show you my faith through my works. So in 15, he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So one thing I did want to go over here is talking about faith, um, rehashing about faith. I think a lot of times faith is one of those abused words that we have in the, in the church, in the secular world now, and we kind of lose the value of what the faith that they tell us in the New Testament to have. Um, is it a warm feeling? Is it just something you're hoping for, like a wish? Or is it a blessed assurance that God is who he is and says, and will do what he does? And so we put that hope in him. That's the faith that we have. If anybody's familiar um, with Mark 21 through 34, which is the story of Jairus' daughter and then the woman who is bleeding in the crowd. So um, if you're not, I'll, I'll go over this. So Jairus comes and asks Jesus to come heal his daughter. Or, I'm... I'm Confusing the Roman centurion. Yes, sorry, Jairus' daughter. So uh, Jairus asked him to come heal his daughter, and, and so Jesus comply, complies and goes along with him, and he's going to help him. But as he's going through the crowd, people are pushing against him. People are stopping him, bustling. It's a busy place, and he feels somebody touch him. And, like, and this w wouldn't be just like a brush or something like that. He feels someone touch him, and, and he feels power go out of him. And so he identifies who, who has touched me, and the woman identifies herself, and she's been bleeding for 12 years, and she just believed enough that, if, that Jesus is God and that Jesus has the power to do what she thought he could do. And that's the faith that saved her. It wasn't the faith. It was the faith that saved her because she trusted Jesus. Jesus was that blessed assurance. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So it was taking action and believing that Jesus is God, which led to her healing. So again, not to mistake that faith can heal us. It's no amount of generalized faith, like I, I have faith or something like that can take and, and heal someone. It has to be the faith in Jesus that he is the one who will do the action. Uh, verses 17 and 18, um, I think are the is really the best illustration of what's going on here with a, a 
prayer of faith um, and a person. So it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So sinful nature. He had temptations. He had all the same things that we endure, sufferings. I mean, he was on the run from the king and queen for a long time because they wanted him dead. Um, And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. So I want to draw us back to this word, fervently. We heard fervent, and I, I, was, I was thinking about it. What a fervent? How often do I use that word in my, my daily speak? So I started looking into it and um, looked up the definition first off, and it says to do enthusiastically, to boil, to burn. So sometimes I ask, do we fervently pray? I'm, this this is uh, a challenge to myself. So uh, as we go through here, but Luke described Jesus fervently in Luke six twelve when he said, "In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God." So Jesus going out there all night. We think of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to the point where blood and sweat are coming out. Uh, and so after sitting down to come out with this, I was definitely challenged, um, just because. Praying for a, a while is difficult for me. I get distracted easily. Um, it's my mind starts to wander, and I think we all get there. If I if I try to do it in bed, I fall asleep. Um, so what I try to do is try to break it up to pray more often. But that's not where the challenge came from. The challenge was: Are my prayers fervent? Am I putting effort into my prayers, or are they effortless? Um, I think a lot of times I can find myself repeating words over and over again, and I see that reflected in my children. And the reason that they're doing it is they hear dad do it. So a prayer for a meal because becomes, thank you for my, my dad, my mom, my brother, my sister, the food, amen. And so um, I think to myself, man, how many times have I said the same prayer? It's just been effortless. There's been no fervent prayer. And so that made me question, do I really, why are my prayers not fervent? Do I not really care about what I'm praying for? Do I not believe that God is going to do what I'm praying for? Or are my, do I already know secretly that my prayers don't align with his plan? Because God will do what you ask for as long as it aligns with his plan. Um, I think sometimes we pray a prayer and it sounds good because we manipulate it to fit there. But if we're honest and we, and we submit, sometimes we know that our prayers aren't good. And so that fervent prayer, I mean, they say, or the Bible says that, uh, you know, even the Spirit will translate groanings. And I've, I mean, I've had those points. I think everybody's probably had those points in their lives, um, ups and downs, where in that groan is probably, I've, I've even done it. I have just made a frustrated sigh unto the Lord, is that was what I'm going to call it. But I think that prayer was probably one of the most fervent prayers I've ever prayed. So it makes me really think and, and direct where I'm praying. Maybe I don't need to be praying for many things. Maybe I need to be focusing on one thing at a time. So as you go out, just think about that. Think about it now. You can think about it now, but think it as you go on. As you're praying, are, you, are your prayers fervent? Do you care about what you're praying for, honestly? Do you believe that God will do what you're asking for? Or do you know down deep? that what you're praying for does not align with God's mission. And so, point four, bring them back. So I found it really interesting, uh, 
19 almost seems separated from the rest of this 13 through 20. 19 and 20, is, it changes. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So I think this probably was the hardest two verses of the whole chunk to kind of sit down and go over. Um, because we look in there, and I think one, this passage is one of those ones where it challenges people who may be not assured in their own faith as a, as a believer, um, or whether or not, because we, we know that there are factions of Christianity that say you can lose your salvation. Um, so let's define sinner. So when we're talking about the sinner here, we're not talking about a Christian who has fallen into a season of sin. Um, salvation can't be lost. You know, Once we're in the Father's hands, we can't be snatched out. So if we were talking about those people, we would have to go to some teachings that Paul has for restoring a brother or sister. Um, but this one, the word here for sinners, is not a, just a person that sins, because I sin, you sin. If there's somebody that doesn't sin, please raise your hand. I'm going to go ahead and clap and congratulate you. But it's someone who has heard the truth but is unregenerative. So this is someone who would be best described as Jesus' parable, the seed and the sowers. So we have the seed that fell on the rocky ground. That seed was ate up. We have the seed that goes into the thorns that's choked out. Uh, and then we have the ones that go into the shallow soil who are, who are scorched. So these are people who came into the church. They heard the word. They may have been convicted, but they never took the right actions with it. They may have changed their lives around, you know, started acting better, doing things like that, but they were never truly transformed and submitted to Jesus' lordship. Um, it can be for a lot of reasons, just as Jesus describes. You know, there can be, I don't agree with the philosophy. We hear it all the time that Christianity is, is too demanding or too many rules. Um, people have their own definitions of who God should be because of what the outside world tells us all the time. Um, we even define words differently now. I mean, being a Christian is starting to become close to a hate group if defined by outside uh, means because we don't, we're intolerant, as they say. So it's, it's difficult um, to say why someone would leave, but those are the people that we're talking about here. We're talking about someone who's came, heard the truth, and then left. So uh, um, a lot of times, I know, I know with these same people, I find it difficult to go and talk with them, because now that they've been in the church, they've heard the truth, and they know a little bit of knowledge, and a little bit of knowledge is, is pretty dangerous. So um, when, when you talk to them, for me, I'm scared. So to return these people back to the church to try to talk to them, a lot of times each one of them has a story of how they've been hurt, and usually it's, it's turned towards God and not understanding why God would let something happen like that. And there are other reasons, but that's it. And in the same way that I was terrified or thought I was going to mess up something to, to talk with you guys tonight. Um, it kind of goes in that same method where, you know, I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to say something wrong. Um, but it's, you know, it says clearly in John six forty four, no one comes into the father, comes unto me unless the father who sent me draws him. So it's, it's not our job to draw people in. Our job is to tell them the truth. Um, and I, I wanted to quote Ryan Booth one week ago, if they're lost, you can't drive them any farther away. So I want to share another stupid story. Um, and the stupid part is me. But <laughs> as we went into it, um, it's an idea that 
we think we have a lot of control over what we say or what comes out of our mouth. Um, it can be damaging, but the Spirit, if it's, if it's right, the Spirit can use anything that we do. God turns all the things to good for those who love Him. Um, so about five, no, 2011. I had to look at my notes to remember when this was. 2011. I don't know if you guys are uh, familiar with Gabby Gifford, the representative from Arizona who was shot by um, an assassin when, when she was given a speech. Um, I think she's, she might not be as famous, maybe, as her husband, or I could be wrong on that. Um, so she was shot on January 8th, 2011. Her husband is actually astronaut Mark Kelly, um, and he's a little bit better known, but not actually what he, what he did was known. Um, so on May 16th of 2011, he boarded um, the spaceship Endeavor, which is its last mission, to go into space to send a... And I have to look up this word or I'll mess it up. Sorry, an alpha magnetic spectrometer. He was delivering this payload to the International Space Station. And the purpose of an alpha magnetic spectrometer is to find dark matter and antimatter, which to most scientists and atheists is the substance that's throughout the universe that's going to disprove the existence of God. As he was boarding the space shuttle, though, he asked for people to pray for his wife. So this is also an explanation of why I don't use Facebook anymore. My cousin, um, his wife is, and they're both Christians or professing Christians, and she had made a note about this. She pointed out the fact that he was going to on a mission that was bent on disproving that God exists and then asked for prayer for his wife. And me with, with that tongue that is quick or slow to hear and quick to speak, put on there, maybe he believes in the power of the human spirit. Well, somebody else saw this message because it was on an open post and responded to it quickly. Um, things got heated. I kind of argued. I, I, was, I wasn't mean, but I was shoving the truth down her throat without thinking about it. And um, I wasn't being salt and light. And if I was, I was a mag light being shined in her eyes and salt being rubbed into her wounds. But with that, um, after that, that internet conversation was over with, I thought, number one, thought to myself, man, I am a terrible person who probably just condemned, I, I condemned someone to hell, which again is not true, but I, I prayed about it. I knew that it was time for me to stop using social media of all sorts because I couldn't handle what I was doing on there. Um, and I prayed about it. And I asked for forgiveness. I sent the woman a message, asked for forgiveness. Um, and I really thought that I had messed up because, you know, I have all the power in the world. So the funny thing is, is about three weeks later, my cousin's wife, Jennifer, she sends me an email. She says, hey, so this lady that you got into this conversation with on my Facebook, she was a coworker of mine. And I've actually been looking for a way to talk to her about Jesus and, you know, and witness to her. And she said, since the moment that I put these messages on there, she's had several conversations, very lengthy ones, about God, about the Bible, and things like that. So I don't know if, if any redemption or salvation ever came from it, but it was, it was my haughtiness that, that God used um, for his good. You know, he used that as an opening for her to get in there. So when we think that we are the ones in control, we're wrong because, uh, sorry, I'm not even on the, apologize, I'm not even on the right slide anymore. Um, 
but it's not our our prayer. It's it's the the act of the Spirit who brings people back. So, um, I just challenge you if you are scared to talk to somebody, whether they know a little bit, know a lot, to go and talk with them, to go and share something with them. If you saw somebody in church, um, if you talk to them and then you run into the store and you're like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How's the things been going? You know, they'll let you know. Ask them. Just hey. You interested in come back in church, to church? And they may tell you a reason, or they may make an excuse. It's our job to give them the truth, and then the Spirit will do with that as they want, as the Spirit wants. Um, but it's not our job to convert or convict them. It's just our job to share with them the Word of Christ. Um, and so that's that's all I got for you tonight. Um, if you let me pray us out of here, I think um, if we we could, I appreciate you guys listening and and let me get through this. So. Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for your awesomeness. God, you are holy and amazing and wonderful. Through the hands of men, you pinned the word that gives us instruction so we know exactly what to do with our lives, Lord. You give us rules that we don't understand but are infinitely for our good. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for the opportunity to be made whole through your sacrifice on the cross that you suffered the same afflictions, the same spiritual and or the same physical afflictions that we did. God, I just ask that you please um, help us to to examine our own hearts to make sure that there's not places of pride, that we're not feeling shame or jealousy, and that we bring those to light by sharing them with each other. Lord, um, bring unity to our church, bring unity to the body as a whole. There's not just a church of Kansas. There's not a church of Colorado. There's the church. There's your body, God. And I ask that you just bring us together. Lord, I do ask that uh, as we continue to go on, that you would make us bold to share your word and align us with your kingdom's mission, God. Lord, I thank you for the people that came here tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to, to speak the truth, to be able to read your word, and to be able to uh, openly converse about it. Lord, uh, and as I, I reiterate what Ryan said, um, we pray for Salina, God. Um, there is hurting here, um, but there is so much healing that you can do. You just need us to go out and, and be the hands and the feet, Lord. God, I love you, and I just pray all these things in your name. Amen.